everybody. This is Angela Bowen, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Today I am concluding my movie review. This is part two of my movie review of the movie War that came out in 1994 starring Kevin Costner and Elijah Wood. Now, when I ended the first part, I ended at Lydia is, we get to see her in summer school with her other friend, with her friends, uh, Elvedine and Amber, which I don't understand what, but, and I went on about Christine Baranski, how I just didn't really like her, just based on this character alone, when I saw this when I was like 12, it just really, she got on my nerves, and... What's the other thing? Oh, um, Cruel Intentions, she played a racist, you know, uh, what's her name? Selma Blair's mother in Cruel Intentions, and she was racist even then, so. That's not anything to do with the actress, Christine Baranski, but I think when I saw this movie, I immediately took a look, just like, like, not just the character, but maybe even the actress, because I was young and everything like that. But I've seen her on The Big Bang Theory on occasion as Leonard Hofstetter's mother. Um, I wanted to see if there's any book called Why My Life is like a bowl full of cherries. That is a giant title. The only thing I came up with is, if life is a bowl of cherries, what am I doing in the pits? I like that. I like that. So is this the first day? Who is this lady? School's been going on. The girls have been going to summer school, right? Then who is this lady? Is she the principal of the school? I don't get it. Because I thought they've been in school this whole dang time. How much time has actually passed? This woman's name is Miss Stratford. Not Stratford, like Stratford upon a bond. Or upon a bond, or whatever it's called. Strap, like a strap. And Ford, like Stratford. Stratford, whatever. This lady must love the color pink because she is dressed head to toe in pink. She's even got a pink bow in her hair. And her her hair is like, it's short, but then it like, at the bottom it like goes like out. Like poofs, like outward. Like, ugh, I don't like it. I don't like it. And her top is really low cut. Like, we don't want to see your boobies. You are a teacher. I know it's 1970, but you need to dress respectable. So we got some signs. One says, challenge yourself with arithmetic. Another says, the road to give it your best. The road to, what? I can't even, what is that? The road to something. And then it says, give it your best. So these are past papers. This school has clearly been going... Okay, I'm just going to get into it now. This lady should be a drama teacher. She's all about... About the flair and the, the dramatic pauses and the... Flourishing gestures with her hands. Like, she should be on Wheel of Fortune. Like, you know, doing Vanna White's job. She says, now this summer we're going to be familiarizing ourselves what she believes is just the finest book ever to come into print. This book is not real. It is so damn tiny. It's like a baby book. Like one of those like little baby cardboard books that you give your kids that they can't rip the pages. And if they drool on the pages, they're not going to like uh, dissolve. 
isn't a real book. There's no author. And my guess is she's so jazzed about this damn book, you'd think she wrote it herself. Did she write it herself? I don't know. Is she a published author? Did they do self-publishing back in 1970? I have no clue. This lady is clearly wearing a wig because this hair is so... And she's like, now doesn't that title just give you a thrill? And she just leaves it there to hang for a moment. Like, you should be teaching drama class because you are so theatrical. These kids look like they would rather be any fucking where else in the world but in this classroom that clearly probably does not have AC. We see a mixture of African-American kids, you know, black kids, and white kids. They all are kind of mixed in together. Well, a lot of it almost looks like, yeah, you have some on one side and some on the other. She's going to, like, let's get this class into some type of order. Oh, you kids can go sit in the back, and then you white kids can sit up front. She's, this is Mississippi in 1970. Seriously? This is insane. Is this this woman's preference? Or I doubt it. it's the school's preference. It can't be. All these kids had to go to summer school? Why? <laughs> That's, yeah, lady, you're so theatrical. Kids are giggling. And now this bitch is going to, she's going to pick on Elvedine. And she's like, excuse me, darling, when the teacher is talking, you need to shut your little mouth. Like, I'd be like, shut up. Why are you singling me out? I didn't say shit. And Elvedine's even like, I didn't say anything. I want to play this clip. This lady's a nut. She's a nut. <laughs> I'd be like, how the hell are you teaching this damn class, bitch? <laughs> would not be working in this I don't think she'd be working in the school system. Hells to the no. It's like the polite thing for boys and girls to do when the teacher is speaking is to shut your little mouth. Like <laughs> Well, I mean you do see Albadine laugh a little she chuckles, lightly chuckles. And you see you know, I mean she does apologize like I'm sorry. Yes, I understand, ma'am. You see kids fanning themselves with paper because, are those windows? But then again, if the windows are even open, they're just blowing in hot air. You're not getting nothing. Like, oh my god. So she says, when we're finished with this little book, which clearly would only probably take them a class to finish because it's so damn short looking, we're going to be devoting our time to writing our memoirs. And the way she says, memoirs, like sticking her hand out, like memoirs, like I'm Shakespeare. I'm dramatic. So the, the teacher, Miss Stratford, is walking down the rows, and she's like, this is where you'll indicate to me why your life and she's looking at Amber, and then she turns to Lydia, and just like, why your life is like a bowl full of cherries. And even Lydia's like, who is this circus freak? Her boobies are practically 
love that dress or blouse or whatever the hell. I'm like, lady, what? Her earrings are like Pepto-Bismol pink, just like her, her bow and her dress and whatever. Ugh. I'm like, lady, are you even wearing a bra? Yuck. Go away. Like, it's like she's bent down right in Lydia's face. Oh, and we cut to Elvedine, and she is really, like, she sent, like, a difference. Like, clearly, oh, you want, you know that this woman is racist. She was picking on Elvedine, and it's gonna, gonna, it's going to continue. Because Elvedine looks at Lydia, and you can tell the teacher is definitely different with her and how she acts versus how she acts with so, yeah, right away, this usually, let's get this class into some kind of order. As in, the black kids are going to be African-American kids. You're going to be in the back. White kids are going to be up front. Oh, you can't see? That's all right. You got glasses. You'll be just fine. Oh, you with a hearing aid. You can get yourself back there. Crank that thing up. Like, I want to play this lady as a, ugh, hate her. I hate this woman. Uh, the character, not the actress. and says, wow, doesn't this feel a lot better? I'd be like, for who? You? Of course, Lester's got to be right behind Lydia. He says, calls her the N-word lover. And of course, Lydia's like, shut up. Granted, Miss Stratford's like, colored, she goes, Elvin colored girl. She has like singled this girl out and is Seriously, like, didn't I tell you to hush up? And Elvedine, to her point, she's like, I didn't say anything. And the teacher's like, well, we all heard you. So let's all wait while you tell us what you said. And I'm playing this because Elvedine knocks, the actress who plays Elvedine knocks it out of the park. Big time. And then, oh, Lydia gets it. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. Like, she's calling this teacher out on her shit. And so does Lydia. It's like, we're not taking your bullshit. Like, I want another teacher in here because I won't stand for this. <clears throat> Alright. Okay. Really? It was for laying over his lap. I'll let him spank me with my underpants down. 
shoving me in the back of the room. But eyes can't even see good, which means I'm probably not gonna graduate this summer neat. Just because you read how some white man say life be like a bowl full of chairs, I got to come up with some thick his saying. Well, fine. I just break down how happy I'm gonna be to get twenty more dollars on my birthday. Never mind, we got plans for me this year, and I'm alright. How maybe the new man my mama seen might stop drinking and treat me nice. And maybe he gon' dock and take us off the welfare. And at the end, I'm gonna be sure and put like show in a bowl full of chairs. But to tell you the truth, Miss Strap, I think you and that book and this whole place be a bowl full of shit. Oh! Elvin! <laughs> My, my girl, my heart, my heart goes out to you. Holy shit. I applaud you, girl. I applaud you for that. I mean, you can't get much better truth than that. I mean, the fact that Elvedine said, you know, her life is basically shit, right? And she's saying how she got $20 on her birthday, even though it wasn't her birthday, for her so-called uncle, who's not her uncle, to basically molest her by spanking her bare ass. So that's the most honest truth that she could give, and she bared all emotionally to this piece of shit teacher that doesn't even deserve to hear that. And Elvedine says that she's, like, been in the sixth grade probably forever going to summer school and everything like that. And here you're sticking me in the back where I can't even see. And I'm probably not going to graduate this year and, and all of this stuff. And this teacher, after, and you see the look on the other, you know, the other African-American kids. And they just are like, Wow, that girl just unloaded completely. And they're almost kind of like, well, what is, what's going to happen now? What's the teacher's next move? The teacher just says, get out of my class, go to the principal's office. And Lydia, I'm playing this clip because Lydia, like, jumps up and is like, excuse me, bitch? Didn't you hear what she just fucking said to you? She doesn't say that, mind you, but I'm playing this because, my good golly, this bitch teacher needs to be put in her fucking place. Since folks that treat people bad don't do it because they're ignorant. <coughs> so I'm gonna help you. She's gonna sit up front where she can see from now on. She ain't gonna go by color girl no more neither. You're gonna learn her name. I don't know about you, but all my friends have names. And it's just so happens to be my best friend. Her name is Elvedine. Yes, Lydia putting the teacher in her place, just saying this is how it's going to be. Because Elvedine gets up to go to the principal's office, and Lydia stands right up and says, Oh, no, no, no. You stay here. 
I got something to say. You are not going to the principal's office. Like, she looks at, Lydia looks at the teacher and says, excuse me? Did you just hear a damn word she just said? And the way the teacher turns around, nose in the air, snotty bitch, it's like, excuse me? It's like, huh, yeah. And Lydia tells her, like, this is how it's going to be. My friend is going to sit here. She's got a name. Her name is Elvadine. You're not going to call her colored girl anymore. She's going to sit in the front where she can see. And my mom says that people treat people like shit because they're ignorant. So I'm going to help you and show you how you properly treat a person. And we, boom, we, f and you see Elvadine just look up so proudly at Lydia for defending her. And then we cut to the principal's office. We got, oh yeah, Lois is down there, like, putting that bitch teacher in her fucking place. All you see is their shadows on the, the uh, the stained glass, the, or not the stained glass, the door that says principal on it. So I'm guessing, is this bitch teacher the principal too? Where's the principal? Because I'm hearing stuff, like, against the law or something like that. And Lois is saying, my daughter knows the difference between cruelty and sensitivity. And you just see Lydia and Elvenine just sitting outside the hall. They're grinning at each other. like. <laughs> and Elvenine gives the mood ring back to Lydia. Gosh, I wish I could hear the rest of what they're saying to each other inside. <laughs> so we get a um, voiceover from Lydia as she says, I wrote... My memoirs for Miss Stratford and the summer just drifted on by. So now we're going to the cave where Mo and Steven are I'm not sure what this is, like dredging or something. I'm not I'm not something with water and hoses and everything. So Lydia lets us know Dad got his union card and a job pumping water out of an abandoned portion of the Foothill Marble Mine. Two counties north of us, so it's a ways away. And Lydia says it was a good job because there was three million gallons of water to pump. So Mo says that he's heard that they haven't worked this section of the mine for like 20 years. There's probably a reason for it. Like, it's probably unsafe. That's probably why they're paying so much damn money is because they probably lost people in that mine. Or mine. Mine, mine, mine. Not mind. So they're trying to hook up a hose, like this ginormous hose, and all of a sudden water just comes pouring out of this open hole above them, like to the point where they're now underwater. So Steven's now in a position where he's got to help Mo because Mo's legs, or the lower half of his body, is basically trapped under these rocks, like most likely crushing his, his body. So Steven's got to get a pipe or something to be able to lift that off of him. So Mo's like, no, 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 it ain't no use, Steven. Get out while out of here while you still can. And of course, Steven's like, no, I'm not leaving you behind. Of course, Steven tries to make light of it. Like, hey, you know I can't do that. You still owe me $3 for gasoline. Like, Okay, well, maybe, I don't know, humor, maybe, I mean, granted, maybe not the appropriate time, but what else are we going to do to lighten the situation just a little bit? Maybe even take Mo's mind off of the pain for, like, a split second. Because I can't even imagine what that, that agony that this guy has got to be feeling right now, being trapped, you know, half of his body being trapped under those rocks. 
So, Steven is able to free Mo. Mo is able to, able to use his upper body to kind of, you know, and he's in water, mind you, also, so he's able to. But because Steven was able to lift that rock, whatever it broke loose from above, all these rocks and everything come tumbling down right on top of Steven. So he is able to free Mo, who clearly is probably going to have, you know, damage to his legs and everything like that, maybe the lower half of his body. But Steven's basically got the worst of it now. I don't even, those rocks look humongous, and they're just falling from the top of that, that mine that they're in. So, yeah, we got the, the fire department. We got, of course, a crowd of people that apparently all, I mean, there are only, what, maybe two guys in there, so why are all these people here? Liddy comes down and says, I'm, uh, or not Liddy, uh, Lois comes down and says, I am Lois Simmons. My husband's name is Steven Simmons. Is he all right? It's going to be scary as hell. Not to mention you got the, the kids with you. The guy's answer is, I don't know. Uh, I hope so. Like, excuse me? Oh, my God. The last thing you want to tell somebody whose husband could, may or may not be dead is, Oh, uh, I don't know, ma'am. I, uh, I hope your husband's all right. <laughs> you could have said, ma'am, we're in the middle of getting everybody out of there. I don't have an update on the situation yet, but I will keep you informed. Something like that. Don't say, I don't know, and oh, I hope so. So, of course, Stu takes it upon himself to start walking towards the mine, the entrance where um, rescue workers are working to bring people out. We have Mo, and he's like, hey, Mo, where, where's my dad? Where's my dad? And Mo's like, your dad saved my life. And like, Stu was able to actually get into that cavern, which I'm surprised no one's saying, son, what are you doing here? You cannot be in here. This structure is not sound. And yeah, Mo's like, he saved my life. Your daddy saved my life. So, of course, they pull out Steven, and he's unconscious. His head is bloody and on the side and everything. And they're like, son, you need to get back. You need to get back. Lois is like, let me see him. Let me see him. And it's like, man, we're in a hurry. We need to get him to the hospital. So now we flash to Kendall County Hospital, where Steven is staying. We have Stu and we have Lydia there. Just, you know, they're praying. And Stu is wanting to get up and find out what's going on with his dad. Elvadine's there. So you see someone um, going into the intensive care luna, uh, unit. You hear Lois ask, is he going to live? The doctor says, I've heard of others like him that have pulled through. And the doctor says, you know, I got to say, what's keeping him alive hasn't a thing to do with medicine. It's like, yeah, that man is sheer, sheer determination. And he says he's got massive thoracic... Thor thor thoracic injuries. One of his lungs, lungs is collapsed. Oh, He's probably got a lot of damage done to his body. Those are a lot of rocks that fell down on him. He's hemorrhaging. His heart's bruised awful bad. Yeah, it does not look good for him. And hemorrhaging, that's bleeding inside your body. That is not good. Especially if you're hemorrhaging, like, around the brain area. Now we cut to the hospital bed where Stephen is wrapped up in a lot of um, gauze and stuff like that, and you see a tube 
that has been inserted into his chest and everything, probably to help him. And Stevens, I think he's probably coming out of the anesthetic or whatever they had him under because he's kind of groaning and he's just like, eh. probably doesn't know where he is or what happened. But his legs look like they still work because he's moving his legs around. So uh, Lois looks like she came from work because she's got her work uniform on. She brought the kids to see their dad. And poor Stu just was like, you know, seeing his dad like that hooked up to a machine and just in pain. And Lydia's narrating, you know, because she's reading her memoir, saying that the doctors say dad should have died instantly, but they didn't know my dad. And he hung on. So Stu goes over to his dad, and, you know, he's holding his hand, he, you know, he's crying and everything like that. And you just hear Steven struggling to breathe and everything. Um, Lydia says Stu didn't, doesn't really talk about that day too much. He just, he went right over the tree and the treehouse and just started working on it. <clears throat> like, yeah, you gotta keep your mind busy. You gotta keep, you know, just as hard as it is to focus on other things, it's like, put yourself into something. Occupy your mind, because just worrying about it is not going to help you. And it's not going to help that person. So, now Sue goes to what looks like the back porch, and there's this trunk that has a lot of Stevens stuff from the war. There's a 8x10 picture of him. There's an American flag. Just a, a lot of stuff that Stu's kind of going through. And in a little lockbox in the trunk here, there is, I believe, the purple heart that Steven was awarded. Oh, wait, that's not a purple heart. I think it's the star that he got for bravery. So Lydia says that Stu worked all day and most of the night, and by dawn he finally passed out from working. We do see there is a lock and a key that goes to that trunk that has Stephen's um, war memorabilia in there. Uh, we cut to, we find out a little more about little Billy Lipnicky as, so Lydia refers to this kid as little John D. Rockefeller, basically just kept on hoarding his loot. How many dollars worth of dimes does that kid got? He looks like he's got at least 50 dimes there. Uh, Lydia says he's been buying his time till he's seen a chance to spend it. Yeah, he went to that ice cream trick truck and he loaded up on everything they had. The point where he's getting so many ice cream bars that he's like, do you have a bag for all of it? Like, oh, buddy, you don't eat all that. <laughs> he's going to get so sick. <laughs> you know he will. Oh my gosh, this kid has got like at least 20 ice cream bars. Holy shit. Kid, you didn't have to spend all that at once. Maybe hit up the ice cream truck every once in a while. But he's sitting in this tub just, there's like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 34. There's close to 20 ice cream bars. How is he not puking his guts out right now? Apparently they have a junkyard dog, because this dog's just hanging out right by this tub this kid's sitting in. Of course, what happens? Poor little Billy Lipnicky here is just passed out in his own, like, chocolate drool. He's in an ice cream coma, which <laughs> is funny. One of, these, one of the guys says it. So, 
The dad, Livnicky father, is screaming for Artilus, Leo, and Willard, and all the other damn Livnickys to get their asses down there. Like, what the fuck is wrong with your youngest brother? So the father just hates his fucking kids. <laughs> get your good-for-nothing carcasses over here and look at your brother who's passed out on these steps. Basically, it's like he can't even move, for Christ's sake. What's the matter with him? Oh, no, uh, one of the older boys asked what's wrong with him. And the dad's like, well, no, you tell me. You're supposed to be watching him. What the fuck, basically. So, of course, either it's Arliss or Leo's like, uh, I don't know, ice cream coma? Like, ugh, you fucking turd. <laughs> no, of course, before the day of subtitles, I thought he said ice cream cone. No, no, he says ice cream coma. Yeah, the kid is in an ice cream coma because he ate his body weight in ice cream and now he's basically out. He's done. He's not dead, but ugh. he probably gave himself diabetes for all we know. That kid don't look like he weighs, like, 50 pounds, if that. So he's like, this is your goddamn brother. You're supposed to take care of him. Like, what the fuck are you doing, old man? You produce those goober kids, but <laughs> you don't give a shit about them, clearly. So, Father Lifnicky is just getting fed up with this kid. It's like, hey, if your mama could see how you're treating him, she'd come down. He says hell, but the subtitle says she'd come down from heaven and kill every last one of us. It sounds like he says hell. Yeah, he does say heaven. Never mind. I just thought, like, he said, your mom will come down from hell and kill every last one of us. Like, damn, you don't think much of your passed away wife, do you? Was this guy ever, at one point in his life, ever a respectable human being? Because there's six kids here. Six. And Eula is the only girl. And these kids are just living in filth. He is clearly, Mr. Lipnicki is a fucking garbage person. Literally a garbage person. Yeah, he's roughing up his kids. Shove it. He shoves Eb to the ground and just says, get him cleaned up before the ants carry him off. And if any one of you ever leaves this yard without him, it's going to be on a stretcher. As in, I'm going to put your asses in the hospital. As soon as the dad leaves, we got... Leo here, if that's who he is, goes and grabs Willard by the ear. and Or not Willard, get, grabs little Billy by the ear. Yang pulls him up by his ears and just says, What the fuck? What is all this food? Where did you get it? And of course, Billy's like, I ain't talking, I ain't telling you nothing. And they're basically threatening to shave his head. They probably should shave his head just because that hair is just utterly... It's got Fruit Loops or Fruity Pebbles in it, and it's just, ugh. I'm surprised those kids don't have lice. These kids hate this little boy. And he's like, I wish we'd never even had you. Like, good grief. But you kids didn't produce him. His mother did. So Billy's like, a big airplane just dropped him out of the sky. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> but whatever. What in the world? Eb's like, you don't honest up, Billy. We're going to scrub you down with lipstick. Well, everyone thinks you got diaper rash. What? Uh, and uh, Billy's like, oh, no, you're not going to do that. And Arliss's like, oh, yeah, after that, we're going to shave your head bald as a witch's tit. This is gross. 
I know, guys. I'm sorry. I know it sounds like I'm ragging on the movie. I'm ragging on the... The Libnicky's freaking deserving. Not Billy. He's a sweetheart. He's an angel, but... These other kids... Bleh. So we get another close-up. We're at the treehouse. We get another close-up on the angel pen. And we got um, Elvedine and Amber just kind of trying to cheer up um, Lydia just by singing and stuff. Lydia's worn those... Those must be the only shoes, uh, well, they're not even, they're cowboy boots. Those are the only ones she's got. Because that's all we ever see her wear. Nothing wrong with that either. So, we got, uh, Chet and Marsh are hanging out in the treehouse. They've been brought back into the fold. They're playing cards against each other, like, deal, betting rocks or stones or whatever they are. Stu's passed out sleeping. Alva Dean is, like, grabbing a magazine or something, and she sees the Libnickies are on the way. Like, fucking hell! They're on their fucking way. What the fuck? Stu wakes up, and it's like, what the hell? Did you guys tell them about this place? How the hell do they even know this exists? So, basically, it's kind of a dividing line of, oh, they have the quarry. What are they doing here? Basically, this is our area. And Stu wakes up, like, did you guys tell him about this place? Like, uh, no, they didn't tell him about it, but you can bet your ass, like, all that shit, what, basically what you're sitting in, Stu, that all came from that junkyard. The girls all bail, Alvadine's like, I gotta go home, my mom's got to do my hair. Amber's gone, Willard, and, or, not Will, why are you putting Willard? Marsh and Chatter, like, we're out, bye, you're on your own, Stu and Lydia. So, Lydia reveals that she told little Billy Lipnicky that they were building the fort. Stu's like, well, wait a minute. No, he's not even allowed out off his property. How in the hell? And Lydia reveals, well, all the junk came from the Lipnicky's yard. And Stu's like, oh, no, 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 no. Seriously? What the? Ugh, girl. Of course, Marsh has to open his big fucking mouth and says, I warned you, Stu, a walking, talking broadcast station, that's what she is. Like, shut the fuck up and go down there and stall him, kid. They got a fireman's pole! That's pretty sweet. So, basically, Lydia admits, like, hey, I screwed up, I'm sorry, what are we gonna do now? Chet and Marsh are all like, Stu, you need to get down here, the Lipnickies are here. And Stu tells Lydia, it's like, I don't know, but I'm not going to fight them, okay? I promised Dad that I wouldn't do that. And Lydia's like, well, you're not thinking of giving all this back. I mean, this is our house, probably the only one we're ever going to have. Don't you think we ought to fight for it? And Stu's like, don't you recall a damn thing that Dad taught us? Like, no, we're not going to fight them. He looks at her and says, he finds out we've been fighting, he's going to be real disappointed. Lydia's going to a dark place here, like, well, maybe this ain't the time, but haven't you considered that maybe he's never gonna find out? It's like, excuse me? Are you throwing in the towel thing your dad's just gonna die? He's like, he's lying in that hospital with machines breathing for him, basically. And Stu just lashes out at her and just starts pushing her, like, hey, you better not talk like that no more. Don't you dare say one more word about that. him dying. He's gonna be fine. He's always fine. So Stu, yeah, he does not want to think of the fact that his dad could die from this injury. He's trying to keep hope because that's all he has to hold on to. Lydia kind of back, you know, like, Stu, I'm sorry, okay? I shouldn't have said that. You're right. 
But he finally said, hey, don't worry, we'll find another way, just no fighting, we'll find another way. Of course! Spear in the Sky starts playing by Norman Greenbaum as the Lipnickies basically descend on the fort. They start climbing up. Oh, boy. Yeah, they're not going to wait on the ground for you anymore. They're going to climb up there to get you. So, Arliss pretty much says, hey, Billy here says you've been mooching off our property. Leah stands up for himself, herself and says, hey, this is our stuff. Your daddy took it from our old house. Like, yeah, you basically took shit from our house and claimed it as your own. That's bullshit. But then again, not all of it's yours, Lydia. Not all of it. Of course, Arliss immediately starts kicking in the door. Like, huh, I've seen birdhouses built better than this. Really, have you? Still, why did you bring that lock? Because, of course, Willard takes it right away and says, Hey, bitch and lock, where'd you get it? And, of course, Sue's like, it's my dad's. Give it back. Now, Ab has it like, oh, no, 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 no. I think I'll take it out home and play with it. Like, you're going to play with a lock? Really? How fun is that going to be? It came from the war. <sighs> Shit. You should have left that at home, buddy. You knew that if they were going to come, that they are going to, and you, the fact that he mentioned, like, hey, it's my dad's, if you pretend like, I don't give a fuck about it, maybe they wouldn't have, like, oh, okay, here, I don't care about this lock, but the fact that he said, hey, it's my dad's, it came from the war, now they got something, now they figure that is valuable, and you ain't going to get that back. So, Arliss and Leo come in after kind of taking stock of what the kids have taken. It's like, hey, that stove's ours. We can tell you that right now. And then boards and rusty nails is ours too. They're boards and rusty nails. You really want that shit back? Really? What are you going to do with it? Get tetanus? So of course, Stu's like, hey, don't worry. Just take them. We'll dismantle them and give them right back to you. So, of course, Lydia's like, Stu, like, no. Like, well... And then Arliss is like, hey, oh, look at this. The trespasser here wants to give us back our our boards with 10, 10, what do you say, 10 million scratches and dog piss stains? So Arliss pretty much says, hey, you know, we're going to lay claim to this fort. We're taking it for ourselves. Hey, I see like a Coca-Cola sign up there in the corner. It just says C-O-C-A, Coca. So of course, she was like, hey, you don't need to, you know, lay claim to it. You guys can come and visit anytime you want. Of course, Billy's like, yeah, that sounds great. And of course, Arliss like, shut up, Billy, you little dip. And he pulls a hat off Billy's head, and it's like, sh his head is shaved, like, right down the middle. And Stuart's like, wow, Billy, what the hell did they do to your head? And of course, Arliss like, well, we're going to do the same thing to you. Arliss says, hey, you got five seconds to give me a better reason that we don't take this place for our own. So, Lydia's like, alright, we'll dare you for it. The kids are like, yay, a dare! And he's like, okay, what kind of dare? And Lydia's like, well, any dare you say. Like, oh my god, you just backed everyone into a fucking corner there, Lydia. You don't know what they're gonna have you do. And she says, if we win, we keep the fort. And he's like, well, if you lose? And she's like, this fort's yours. Lock and key. So they're headed to the water tower. This crumbly, piece-of-crap water tower. 
And then Billy's like, oh, wow, if we get the four, we get to say who's in it and all that. And Billy's like, oh, I'd invite everybody. We'd have, what do you say, ring-dings and little Debbies and ho-hos and all this stuff. Kid, all he thinks about is food. Pocket pops and you <laughs> So, of course, Arliss tells Billy to shut up. Like, I'm thank you to you. I'm now starving. Because he calls Billy a broken record. Like, this poor kid. I feel bad for him. So, they climb to the top of this water tower. This water tower. How it's being held together by tarp and rotten wood. I don't know. But there's a lot of... It's almost like, um... What do they call those? Like, um... I don't know. Like, it's almost like a... Is it a water spout? Is that what it is? It's almost like a water tornado or something that's, like, sucking... You see that this water's nasty. There's broken boards and who knows what else in this water. Basically, what the Libnickies want to do is have one of them race against... Well, clearly, it's going to be Stu. Because he's probably the best swimmer. They're going to race to the end of it, hit the side, and then race back. This water is crazy. It's like spitting up. It's just. It's, I, I, I can't even swim myself, so. Uh, <laughs> so, Arliss or Lib, whichever one, is trying to get the other boys to try to do this race with against Stu. And all the other ones like, hell no! No, we ain't gonna do it! No, no way. So, Arliss is clearly freaked out. Like, hey, look. Because Sue's already jumping that water. And Arliss like, hey, look. If you want, I'll give you a chance to back out now. We can think of something else. It's like, uh, you're the one who decided on this. So, Arliss didn't even swim across. Stu did. He's like, hey, we won. What are you doing? He's like, hey, keep your fucking fort. We don't give a shit about it anyway. And Lydia grabs, pulls Stu out of the water and says, Hey, I told you I'd get you out of this. So Stu wants the lock. Willard goes and just chucks it onto another part of the roof that clearly is not going to be stable. So Stu's like, I gotta get the lock. I gotta get the key. And Lydia's like, come on, Stu, forget it. We'll get another lock. It'll be fine. We got the fort. You don't need the lock. Okay, so he did get the lock, but the key is just there. Like, oh, shit. Forget it. Forget the key. It's not worth dying for. Of course, Billy sees that key, and he's eyeing it, and Stu's like, no, Billy, no, no, no. Let's get out of here before someone gets hurt. So they went to go visit their dad in the hospital, and he's just... Stu thinks he... Stu's trying to stay positive. He thinks his dad's doing all right. Uh, you know, Lydia probably thought, well, he probably looked about the same as before, really no change. Lois is right by Steven's side, just telling him, you know, I'm here. And she says, don't you, she asks, don't you even know who I am? And he, he mutters, you know, Lois, and she just, like, the fact that he's even talking to her, it's like, oh my god! So, was he in a coma for a bit, I wonder? I'm not sure. So, later that night, Lydia and Stu come home, and we see that Lois is reading through some old letters that I think Stephen wrote her while he was, maybe while he was in the war, I don't know. And you can tell that she has been crying, and she's, you know, got her Kleenex, and it's like, gosh, she's got to tell her kids that their dad is gone, that he didn't, that he passed away. Jeez. So I'm going to play this clip because 
Elijah Wood acts his ass off in this scene. My gosh, this is so good. And it breaks my heart and I, cr I cry every time. can't die and Lois is trying to tell him honey your, your dad is gone he's not they can't put him back on machines because you know he, he's not here anymore and even Stu is like well what because it costs too much and you know he's just saying you know everyone just gives up on him and one thing that Lydia said that made me think she's like well what if dad died in that war and God sent him back for one last visit or one last visit, you know? And 
still even reveals, which to Lydia and Lois doesn't make sense, the fact that Lou's saying, well, yeah, he was going to get us a house with a vanity and a picket fence and a tire swing and this and that. And just, why would he do that and just up and leave? And he even says, it's like, God could be taking, like, super old people, like Charles Manson, who's been around for, like, a hundred years. And I didn't even think that, like, back when I saw this originally, I didn't know Charles Manson was at the time. I just thought maybe he was talking about, like, some, like, 80-year-old, like, townsfolk or something like that. And he even, he even says, like, my dad was only 34 years old. And I'm like, that's, like, almost three years younger than what I am now. That is super, super young. It's just like, you know, the good Lord just, just took him on home. And Sue's like, no, Mom, we're his home. The Lord can have him later. I get it. Stu is angry and he's upset and he doesn't know how to handle this information. So, also, he's lashing out, like, saying, well, because Lois says, well, your dad's going to look down on us and everything the whole rest of our lives. And Stu says, well, I hope he does a hell of a better job than he did when he was alive. And Lydia's like, well, don't say that, Stu. And Stu turns on her and says, why not? You thought he was a deadbeat. My heart just, just goes out to Stu. He's like, why did the Lord take my daddy away from me? And, and just, just, I'm shouting to God saying, no, God, I needed him more than you. I needed him more. And then Lois is just trying to comfort Stu the best that she can. And Stu just, he can't take it. He just runs out. And he's like, I gotta get away from this place. I gotta put distance between me and this place because I can't deal with this. So, Stu decides to go to the tree, only to find out the Lipnickies have taken it over, and they're shooting off fireworks inside. Isn't that dangerous? Those fireworks that Marsh was talking about his brother had, yeah, they're using all those fireworks. And well, they kind of ask, like, hey, Stu, how's your dad? And Sue's just like, he died. And I like the other Marsh to say, oh, man, I'm sorry. Is there anything we can do for you? And he's like, no, no. So Stu goes home and turns the TV off and, you know, puts a blanket over his mom basically now Stu is kind of, he's the, basically now the man of the house because his dad is gone. And think about it, I mean, Stu's like 10, 11 years old. Now he's basically manning up and then he's taking on these responsibilities you know, to help, to help his family and stuff. So Stu and Lydia are kind of going through that trunk. You know, there's the folded American flag. There's Stevens uh, picture when he went into the war you know that picture that they have you take in your um, uniform and everything there's a picture a small black and white picture of him, uh, Steven and Dodge and Lydia's a little nervous about going through the stuff she's like what if dad's watching and Sue just comes around and says dad's dead and Lydia's just like what if dad can look down and see what we're doing and Sue's like Lydia dad's gone okay it's just going through his stuff, which then again, 
still invites his friends and also the girls to go through his stuff. Like, kiddos, um, you don't think your mom wouldn't want to go through that stuff first? Maybe if Steven had, you know, parents or maybe if he had siblings, like other people that might want to go through it as well. I mean, I know the kids are going to take what they want out of it, but that's something your mom probably should also go through as well. Don't just start taking stuff out of there. So, Stu starts pulling out camouflage paint, smoke bo- smoke bombs. There's also a book that says Vietnamese phrases. Also something that says combat individual chicken or turkey Bond? Boned? I don't know what that is. And uniforms. And Stu says, take what you want, guys. That's not your stuff to really go through. Oh my gosh. I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, like I said, they really should be having the mom go through that stuff first. Unless he was just listing, like, the camouflage paint and the grenade. Oh my god, the grenade. Oh, but kiddos, you do not need to be playing with no grenades. That is... Very dangerous. Oh, wait a minute. No, smoke bombs and camouflage paint. Okay. Stu, of course, took his dad's dog tags. Like, yeah, those will stay with me. So, the kids devise a plan to take a beehive. Learn nothing from Thomas J., of course. Because, oh, that's right. This would be in the same, same time period. 1970, 1970, Mississippi, Pennsylvania. Because they have a sack that's got bees in there. They're going to get stung. But that's how they're going to get the lip nickies out. Is by sending down that beehive into the fort. So they send Stu up in the basket. And he's going to drop that right in there. So the lip nickies, of course, just start jumping out of the tree to get away from the bees. And they fall and they don't break their necks like at all. No broken bones. No broken necks. None of it. So they got a trunk full of more fireworks. So yeah, they're gonna attack the Lipnickies. Like, stay out of our fort. So the kids are all dressed in like camo green and they got face paint on. They've taken the the fort is pretty much there. They're just waiting for the Lipnickies to come back and start a war with them. So they got fireworks, they got smoke bombs, they got an apple that's supposed to, like, shoot out of a, a launcher. I guess they got all the bees out of there. <laughs> so they're hitting the Lip Nickies with something. I'm not sure what it is. It makes me think of the movie Hook with all that paint and everything. Elvenine looks like she threw some type of crude oil on one of the Lipnickies' faces. Yep, they got some fireworks going off. That's good. And the Lipnickies are running off to regroup and replan how they're gonna come back and take over this fort. Well, now the something... What in the heck? Was that like one of those Molotov cocktail things? Because now the fort's on fire. Like, literally on fire. Yes, that is a Molotov cocktail that Eb has, and he chucks it right at one of the sides. Yeah, that thing is going up in flames. That is so cool. They have a zip line down there because they see Eb. That's he's ready to throw another Molotov cocktail. Uh, the waiting pool that's up there had some water in it, so Stu and Lydia are trying to put out that blaze. Like, oh boy. But they got a zip line with a tire on it, and then someone goes down, of course, and. 
knocks that Molotov cop cocktail, you know, basically uh, cloth with gasoline on it and then lighting it on fire to throw it. So, knocks it out of his hands. So, Billy, of course, is watching his older siblings just uh, attack this fort. And he's like, hey, let's share the fort. And Arliss is all like, for the last time, you little twerp, get lost. So, Arliss is on a tractor, and he's pulling, he's got a rope or something connected, so he's kind of pulling down a part of the fort. It just starts to collapse. So, Leah was in a makeshift something or other, and she's walking, she's on the ground, walking in this thing, and, of course, Lester goes, like, I'm gonna punch you in the face and knock your tooth out. Alvinine luckily comes in, says, get away from my friend, Punches Lester in the face. Like, you knocked out my other tooth. Good. Stupid. Ugh. He says, you knocked out another front tooth. Like, uh, really? Because I still see one front tooth sitting there. So, what other teeth did she knock out? So, now we get uh, Lydia's narration. She says, we thought if we hit him hard the first time they would surrender and the fighting would end. Would end, But it didn't. It just got worse and worse as we see the rope that's tied to the tractor is, in fact, pulling down pieces of that, of that fort are just crumbling. And she says, and I guess somewhere along the way, we all sort of lost their minds. So it's almost like they're tying it back to what Steven was talking about with the fighting and everything. At some point, you don't even know really what you're aiming at, what you're, f you know, what you're fighting or who you're fighting. You're just shooting. But, I mean, the, the kids aren't shooting each other, but still. At what you point, it was about defending this fort, and now whatever it is is pretty much... It's almost like an all-out turf war, in a way, for this... This treehouse, which now is just falling apart at the seams, it's just collapsing. The poor Sue is hanging onto a branch. Eb comes along and just steps right on his fingers. And, which, you could hear them crack. Like, oh my gosh, I hope he didn't break his fingers. But, unfortunately, Stu lets go and falls to the ground. Which, everyone else that fell to that ground did not break anything. Because they weren't able to come back. And you see that Stu's pant legs are torn, one of them where it looks like, like his knee got cut. Of course, Stu does not realize that in following the dog tags from his dad that he had around his neck fell off, and Billy scoops them up right away. And Billy also sees the lock that's on that fort, and he remembers the key that is on that water tower. As Billy turns his head and we get a glimpse of the water tower. Yeah, we know where that boy's going. Uh, Lydia sets that tractor on fire. And Stu, this is all kind of from Stu's periphery, uh, where he's seeing um, Marsh and it looks like Amber with a large 2x4 smacking one of the Libnickies in the back, causing them to fall to the ground. You got Chet being beaten up by two of the Lip... Three of the... Well, no, two of the Libnickies, and I think Lester's there. Lydia is choking... Is that Eula? And we hear the helicopters whirring in the back, kind of making you go, you know, to when Stephen was in the war and everything. So he's, Stu's recalling on his dad's story. He's got his dad's medal or of honor. 
a gold star for bravery. Lydia, you are literally going to kill that girl for crying out loud. And just Stu just looks like he is like, this is not what I wanted. I didn't want this. This is going way too far. But luckily he looks to the water tower and he sees Billy is climbing up. And it's like, okay, now we got to change tactic here and go after him before he kills himself. Because we know that roof is not very stable, like, at all. So, Stu climbs the water tower, sees Billy that it's, he's stretched out trying to get that key. Stu's like, Billy, you need to forget about this. The fort is gone. You do not need that key. And you can see that water tower, the water in that water tower is already starting to churn again. And the top of the water tower, that roof, like you say, like I say, it's really held together with nothing but wood, rotten wood, and tarp paper. So it's very, very unstable. And Stu's telling Billy, it's like, the planks are rotted, do not move. And the kid is not listening, he's just stretching as far as he can to reach that key. And Stu is really trying, like, as careful as he possibly can crawling to get to Billy, but Billy will not stop moving. He's like, no, I gotta get the key, I gotta get the key. So Arliss is now climbed up there, he's like saying, Billy, is that you, you dumb Dora? So somebody is clearly watching, what is it, Match Game? <laughs> Cause that's what, um, was it Gene Rayburn would say, dumb Dora is so dumb, she thought blah 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 was blah 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 or something to that effect. So both Stu and Arliss are trying to get, it looks like Arliss does have Bill, a hold of Billy's shoe, which is good. It's like, alright, I gotcha. And poor Billy's, I'm just trying to get the key, I'm scared. So Arliss is also saying, hey, give me your hand, Billy, forget the key. And right of that thing just gives way and Billy just plunges right into that water. And this poor boy probably cannot swim. But then again, even if you can swim, the water is churning so much, it's almost like a, um, what do they call those things? Like, almost like a water tornado where it starts to suck you down to the bottom of it, because there is a drain. So, uh, Arliss and Stu climb down as fast as they can down that ladder to get in there to try to get him. Stu has no reservations. He jumps right into that water. And Arliss is saying, hey, yank him off the drain because he's probably stuck. Not to mention he's got the, the dog takes, which probably could get tangled up in that drain. So maybe, yeah, I don't know. And the things we keep flashing from the surface in the water where Stu is to the drain. But now it's like instead of seeing one image, we're not just seeing Billy. We are seeing another person down there. And the person, it's really, really blurry. It does not look like Stu. And I'm thinking that could be Steven. Even though Steven is gone. The other Libnickies and also Lydia and Elvedine, they're all running like, what's going on? We j like, we just got here. What's happening? Okay, so I'm going to play this clip. Stu was able to pull Billy out of the water. And he's trying to do CPR on him. And of course, the other kids are like, oh, you're hurting him. Stop it. Just leave him alone. It's like... No, I'm going to save this boy's life, or at least he's going to make that attempt. Oh, no. 
So the Lipnickies are all like, oh, stop it, you're hurting him, just leave him be. And it's like, you guys don't want to save your little brother? Because, basically, Stu's doing what he can. But then again, it's like, it's kind of, CPR sometimes has to be, a, most likely, a two-person job. Somebody's got to do the chest compressions, and someone's got to give mouth-to-mouth. Stu is just saying, like my dad said, so that people can do anything they have a mind to as long as they believe they can. And also the fact that, you know, he's just saying to God, he's like, come on, you took my dad. Don't take Billy. He's just a little kid. And Sue is like, can anybody give me a hand here? Lydia does come down so she can at least do mouth to mouth while Stu is doing the chest compressions. And finally, Billy coughs up the water and he's just kind of dazed. You know, just looking around, like, where am I? What's going on? And he says, I saw an angel, a real one. And he was going to take me to live in his kingdom. But then I was told I had to go back so I can take care of my daddy. And, oh my goodness. And when he looks at Stu, he says, yeah, he looked like you, only bigger. And he told me I had to come back and take care of my daddy. And I'm like, oh my god. And just still and Lydia look at each other like they know like that was their dad helping Billy out. 
And that was him probably at the bottom of the drain with Billy the whole time, I bet. So when Arliss does pick Billy up, you hear the clanking metal. That's, of course, the dog tags that are that fall from his neck. Those things really need to be better at least secured. Um, but then, of course, Stu and Lydia see them there, and that's when they realize, like, what are you thinking? And Stu's like, I think Dad's watching. Hmm. Sorry, I'm getting choked up. Um, he's like, Dad's watching. We can go home now. Like, it's gonna be okay. Okay, so what Stu says is, if Dad is watching, he can go now. And Lydia looks at him and says, Dad is watching. <clears throat> and they hug each other. It's like, my God, my heart is just breaking right now. It's just sad and happy and everything. All right, I'm going to play this clip here as Lydia is continuing reading her memoir. She says, from that day on, the lip Nickies didn't hang around the quarry. Like... No, of course they didn't hang around the quarry no more. It's like, you just, your brother almost died because of your negligence. From that day on, the Lib Nickies didn't hang around the quarry no more. We didn't see much of them, except for Billy, who kind of adopted us all. The guys and I started to rebuild the fort, but after a few days... We all got kind of disinterested and give up. Mm-hmm. Now Stu and his friends mainly hang out at the theater so as to try and pick up babes. Alright, so basically, um, the Lip Nickies weren't really coming around anymore except for Billy, who Lydia says kind of adopted them all it's a little bit, just kind of a little tag along, you know, hanging out with, you know, these nice friends here who were nice, saved my life, basically. And they realized after a few days, it's like, you know what? We don't need to rebuild. We can just move on, do other. I mean, by the time, by that time, it's like getting into summer. You guys are all going to be back in school again. It's like... The fort was there for what you needed it for. Sadly, it meant its demise. You guys can kind of move forward from this. So, yeah, the guys are all hanging around the theater trying to pick up what Lydia said. Pick up babes. Pick up babes. And Lydia, Elvadine, and Amber are all hanging out in front of the movie theater just doing their thing. They're dancing to the Supremes, loving life, all that good stuff. And Lydia says how her mom told her that their dad is at peace and that he wasn't suffering no more. Then a few weeks later, a visitor came to see us. 
oh, they still got all those uh, Coke bottles and, or uh, pop bottles and stuff like that. As now, being that Lois is probably having to learn how to fix the car herself because they can't really afford repairs. And the guy that comes to see them, surprise, surprise, it's the guy from the house auctions at that little uh, county auction thing. And he's like, well, I've been trying to get a hold of you all. And she's like, well, yeah, the phone's been down. Probably been shut off because, you know, they probably can't make payments or whatever. So, but, yeah, he's got a surprise. He's got a surprise. Can I help you? Oh. <laughs> well, good afternoon, ma'am. Uh, my name's John Ray Wilkins. Uh, oh, that's a different Clabby guy. Clabby Auction House. Yes. Well, about six weeks ago, uh, your husband put down a bid on one of our bank-owned properties. We tried to call y'all, but I guess the phone's been down. So he's been a little tight? Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, your husband put a down payment bid of uh, $432. Well, thanks for returning the check. We could sure use the money. Uh, no, ma'am. Uh, I'm not returning the check. Uh, you see, the bank took on too many of these failed mortgages, and if they don't start getting rid of some of these properties, they're going to be bankrupt themselves. So the bank uh, accepted your husband's offer, being that it was the only one they got. Are you telling me Stephen bought us a house? <laughs> uh, yes, ma'am. Set a fight. We are meant for better things, you and I. And these days, whenever I'm ready to haul off the belt of someone who's got my dandruff, I hear him whisper those words in my ear. My mommy says people's lives are like tapestries. The color and the beauty of the designs depend all on the people you know, the things you've learned. bunch of other good things you sort of forgot you had. I learned this summer that my brother was right. My daddy's the wisest man I've ever known. No matter what anybody tells you, with God's help, human beings can do anything. Oh, 
Okay, so this is actually a different guy. This is not the same guy that was at the uh, the auction event thing. And he said, you know, I've been trying to get a hold of you. And she says, well, things have been a little tight. Well, yeah, they probably did have to kind of cut some things, like the phone and whatever things they could possibly spare. And he says that, oh, about six weeks ago, your husband placed a bid on a house, you know, about 430 dollars And she's like, oh, well, yeah, we could sure use that money. And he's like, well, no, I'm not returning the check. The thing is, the bank took on a lot of these failed mortgages, and if we don't let some of these houses go, then the bank itself is going to go bankrupt. So, plus, his bid was the only bid that was actually on that particular house. And Lois is just like, are you telling me that Stephen bought us a house? He's like, yeah, well, yes, ma'am, yes. And it's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So... The guy takes him out there to the house, and of course, Stu's kept mum about this whole thing the whole time. He, you know, he, he, he never said anything about it. And she's like, oh my god, this house is so, I mean, yes, it is going to take work. Definitely, yes. But, he, Stu says, lipstick and rouge, ma. And she looked at him and just laughed, like, don't I know it? Like, yeah, yeah, it's going to take a, little, a bit of work. It is, but once it gets going, you guys, it's going to be great. It's going to be so, so great. Now we come back to Lydia's class, and she is, she's got at least five or six pages, you know, we've heard her narration throughout the entire movie off and on, and just, the teach. now the kids are kind of interspersed around the room as far as the, the black kids are not in the back anymore, we have them intermingled with the white kids. Which is good. The lady's not wearing Pepto-Bismol pink anymore. So, but she definitely probably was talked to by somebody because she definitely made changes. And she's reading from the paper here. She says, my daddy once said of fighting, we are meant for better things, you and I. And these days, whenever I'm ready to belt someone who's got my dander up, as in someone who's going to get in your face, basically, and start something. She says, I hear him whisper those words in my ear. And she says how her mom says that people's lives are like tapestries. The color and the beauty of the designs depend on all, depend all on the people you know. Things you've learned. And what Lydia says is what I learned this summer is that how that no matter how much people think they understand war, war will never understand people. And she refers to it as, it's like a big machine that nobody knows how to fix. Oh, they don't, don't nobody really know how to work. Okay. And once it gets out of hand, it winds up wrecking all the things you thought you was fighting for. A whole bunch of other things you sort of forgot you had. This girl, got Lexi Randall, I applaud her. This is Both her and Elijah Wood bring all that they have to the table. And it really, really delivers. Just, as kids, they they had a major, major loss. Where now they're really going to be forced to grow up even more than they originally were. And it just, it's amazing. Just these losses and everything that people go through in their life. They wind up learning so much about themselves and what they can truly handle. And she says, I learned this summer that my brother was right. And she says, my daddy's the wisest man I've ever known. And that no matter what anybody tells you with God's help, human beings can do anything. 
And you see <coughs> um, where Walter Crandall's name is. You see that scratch out. You see new owners, the Simmonses. Oh, Walter Crowley's name isn't scratched out. It just says new owners, the Simmons family. <coughs> when Lydia mentions with God's help, human beings can do anything, we do cut to that angel pen. And Lois with Stu and Lydia, they all just smile and run into the house just to look at everything. It's like, yes, that house is going to take work, but it's, they're, Basically building, this is going to be their future and, you know, their future home. This is them moving forward and stuff. Like, yes, it is going to be hard. Even Lois said, you know, they had to cut a few things. You know, the phone had to go and stuff. She's making her own repairs. She's learning how to repair a vehicle so that way she, if she can't afford to. Who can afford to go to the mechanic nowadays? It's just so expensive. So, I mean, if you're able to learn how to do some of the easy repairs, like, she probably was either changing the oil or was probably making a small repair or something like that, so. And that's pretty much we close on that, you know, them running into the house and everything like that. And that's how we close the movie. I love this movie, guys. I love it, love it, love it so much. And I really, really hope that you enjoyed listening to my commentary on this and my review on this. This movie, I know I say this about a lot of movies I cover, but this movie is always, always, always going to hold a special place in my heart. The acting, the the characters, the message of the movie, just all of it is just beautiful. And it really makes you think about, you know, life in general and your own life. And just the lessons that you've learned over time growing up. And how you apply those lessons to how you live your life going forward and everything. It's just, yeah. Even Christine Baranski, you know, honestly, I didn't like the character, which you're not really meant to like this character, because she only really has that one main scene, and then she doesn't say anything in this last scene as Lydia is, you know, reading her, her paper and everything like that, but it's almost like she looks at Lydia like, okay, I respect you now, like, I will... Like, she, she learned, this young girl taught her how to treat people with respect. So I'm going to read a review here. This one is just, it's from 2000. It says, the simple, unappealing name does not do justice to this fine film. Who would want to see a movie called The War? Not me, and that's why I only saw this 1994 movie tonight on TV. And I was pleasantly surprised at how good it is. Costner turns out to have a very strong supporting role because the movie really is about Elijah Wood's character and the other kids who find out about the real war we human beings seem to fight daily. Excellent mix of humor, action, drama, sadness, and triumph. The dare scene inside the water tank was one of the more gripping I've seen in any film. I rate it 8, but almost feel it deserves a 9. February, 20, February 2006 update. I saw it again on DVD, and the most... And most of the movie was fresh again. After Costner's character was faced with killing people in the Vietnam War, he fully understood that love was the only thing fighting, worth fighting for. This is what he was able to pass down to his son and his daughter. As they say in any war, even the ones we may fight with our neighbors, we always lose track of the real reason we are fighting and destroy the things we value. That was beautifully put. 
And a lot of these reviews are stating that, yes, this is a beautiful film, but it is underrated. I really think that this movie did kind of fly under the radar. Like, not a, pe- a lot of people either, they don't know about it, or it was overshadowed by other movies that were big at the time and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, the movie itself, I believe, is... I believe it is over two hours long. Let me see here. Two hours and six minutes. That is a good chunk of time. But the message alone and the cast is just... And the fact, I mean, the director of Fried Green Tomatoes, I think I saw that movie once and I thought it was good, but just something about this movie, the era, the message, the relationship between the parents and the kids, the kids' relationships with other people, and just the impact that they seem to have on others. And it's just, gosh, I can't say enough good things about this movie because... I would run out of time. But, um, like I said, guys, I really hope you enjoyed this. This is part two of the war movie review. So, the next movie I do plan to review in September since it is, like, a back-to-school month. It is a TV movie. Let me pull it up here on IMDb. It is originally, as I know it to be... For My Daughter's Honor came out in 1996. It was a TV movie. It's also been renamed in other places called Indecent Seduction. This is based on a true story. In Tate, Oklahoma, a popular coach, Pete Nash, played by Gary Cole. If you've seen the Brady Bunch movies, he does play Mike Brady. He has been, Gary Cole has been in a lot, a lot of things. Pete Nash is accused of having a sexual relationship with 14-year-old Amy, who's played by Nicole Tom, if you've seen the Beethoven, you know, Beethoven and Beethoven Second, she was also in The Nanny, she played the oldest daughter in The Nanny, so, um, yeah, I just, I wanted to do this movie, I was 14 when I saw this in 96, it came on the TV, I never got to see the end of it because it was late and I had to go to bed, um, my teacher, my, uh, teacher's aide in the classroom said she had seen, like, the ending of the movie and kind of told me what happened, but I just remember watching this movie on television and just being that girl's age. It's like, yes, people have had crushes on teachers, but never would a teacher act on that. Granted, now we are living in a very, very different age where it just seems like that stuff te- seems to crop up a lot more than it used to. Um, I think right around this time, 96 or 94, right, that we had the uh, Mary Kay Letourneau and Billy um, student-teacher relationship that resulted in a 13-year-old boy becoming the father of two children to um, a 36, 34-year-old woman. So I just, I thought with school coming out, this is definitely a a teachable movie, and I do want to see if I can maybe get some since it is based on a true story, some background information on the movie itself, see what I can, you know, kind of dig up and everything to kind of go along with the movie. Um, But yeah, and then I really want to try because it is the 30th anniversary of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids that came out in 1989. I really want to get to that movie. And then we'll see what I can get out in October. So, but like I said, I I love the movie The War. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I believe you probably can find it on Amazon. 
to be able to watch because definitely definitely give this movie a watch i mean i think i did the best i could with you reviewing it commentating on it and stuff but even my review does not do this movie justice guys come i i did the best i i could with it but yeah so all right everyone have a wonderful wonderful week the final week of august guys we are in it we are almost done with the summer's coming to an end i mean i know it doesn't officially start till fall doesn't start till uh, september 23rd but i mean we know kids are back in school a lot of them are back in school now but after labor day this week boom summer's over it's done we're focusing on the burr months september october november december right yeah summer flew by it flew by in a flash but i want to do this one last well actually excuse me guys Uh, before the movie for my daughter's honor I will be covering Stand By Me and I do have the book the novella so I'll be kind of bouncing between the movie and the book and stuff like that too to see you know what's different from the book versus the movie so look forward to that and then in September probably in the middle of September we'll get to for my daughter's honor but look for the stand by me movie i think most likely it'll probably be out either labor day so february 2nd why am i saying february why am i saying february <laughs> september 2nd or september 1st one of those two days so all right guys thank you for listening and have a great week bye bye